right, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow, I think, Sheena and Jennifer out today. Hey, do you think we could sing that again at the end? Can I, yeah. I'm, Sherilyn, do you think we could sing that song again at the very end today? That'd be magnificent. Janae, are you leaving? Okay. Just trying to keep up with all y'all. All right, let's see. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start in uh, here in a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What I wanted to talk about, I tried to talk a little bit last week about, um, boy, we just, we, we want to, as a, as a church, we want to um, grow in our love for each other. And um, I tried to talk about that a little bit last week, and boy, I, I could take, talk about that until, uh, until the Lord comes again. But um, it's so important for us as believers and I know we're not where we want to be. The crumps aren't where we want to be, and I know you're not either. But we want to be headed in the direction um, to just to continue to ask the Lord, help me to love uh, my brothers and sisters here at Calvary. Help me to love them better. Help me to figure out how to spend more time. Help me to figure out how to, how to uh, spend meaningful time. Help me to figure out how to really help them along their journey as we all kind of journey together in, in following the Lord. And, and we want to continue to grow in that. It's something that ought to be really, I, I, I pray for you guys, I pray for us, I really want us to, to, to continue to grow in it, because Jesus talked about it, and he said, the world's going to know you're my, my disciples by the way that you love each other. It's going to be profoundly different in the church than it is anywhere else, and of course, the reason is, is that we've received the unconditional love of God, and unconditional forgiveness that came through Jesus Christ, and it has freed us up to love each other without some selfish agenda, but to love each other purely and more wholly and, uh, and more completely than the rest of the world can. They're, they're just not as able as you and I are. With all the resources of the gospel, they're just not as able as we are to love each other more selflessly. There's just no other place like the church. And in fact, the rest of the world is to be looking at the church and say, wow, those people have love for each other. Their love for each other is profound. And I say that this morning while my wife has been tearful for two days now, uh, really uh, missing already the Robinsons. And... Uh, Thanks a lot. Today, though, what I want to talk about is our relationship with people outside the church. And this is difficult. And I, and I tell you, let me just start out by telling you why this is hard. And I know you've struggled with this just like any other pe- person in church, anyone who's really, truly following, trying to follow Christ, is that there are some people who, by their lifestyle, demonstrate that they're opposed to the gospel. Right? There are some people who are absolutely steeped in sin and have absolutely no place for Christ in their life because in their mind, Jesus Christ and his people are against them. And, and let me just tell you real quickly, some of the kind of folks I'm talking about is uh, people who are steeped in sexual promiscuity. Right? People who are steeped in promiscuity, you won't find a lot of those in the church. Right? People who are steeped in substance abuse, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you won't find a lot of those in the church because that, those kinds of sin are so overwhelming and so life-consuming that a lot of times they're terribly uncomfortable in church. The, and, and the last thing is uh, homosexuals. You won't find a lot of people who are so homosexual in the church. And part of the reason is, is that they, they have, especially in, in this coming generation, this emerging generation, have a belief that God and his people are opposed to them. All right. Um, I want to talk to you, though, generally today about, about, about people who are really struggling in their lives. 
who really need the hope of the gospel, who are really desperate and maybe even more desperate than you and I were for the hope of the gospel, whether they know it or not. But I want to read some startling stuff to you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read just a few, chap- a few verses there in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. And this is, uh, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, telling them how to live together, how to do things together. He's going to talk to them about sexual immorality. He's going to be coming next because there was a problem in Corinth. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're just going to read verses 9 through 11. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, or, I'm sorry, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit, try to say that five times fast, will inherit the kingdom of God. And yeah, let's stop there for just a minute. None of this is surprising to us. All of us know this. All of us know that the wicked don't inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is about holiness. It is. So none of this surprises us. What the surprising thing comes in the next verse in verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. Corinth was a city that really is, was, is, was a lot like our culture is today. It was known for its drunkenness. It was known for its temples of, uh, of prostitution. But sexual immorality was common in their day. There, was, there were temple prostitutes. Sexual immorality was rampant. Um, and it was known for its drunkenness. It was known for its sexual immorality. Um, and it was known for its religious plurality. Um, they were all very accepting of all these different religions, all these different views of life, and kind of had the same view that sometimes you still hear a couple of millennia later is that, well, all paths lead to God. And they kind of had this viewpoint that, well, religion's not bad, all religion's good, there's something to be found good about it. And that's kind of how that society was. Well, can I suggest to you that's very much like what American society is today, Western society, you might even say, is very much like that. Sexual promiscuity, very, very common. Homosexuality, becoming even more common. Uh, Drunkenness, substance abuse, all the more common all of the time. Um, But the the amazing thing here is that what he says in verse 11 is that he's talking about people in the church now, and he says, and that's what some of you were. My question to you this morning is, how did those people go from homosexual to sexual immorality, from, um, from all of these things, from swindlers and idolaters and all those things? How did they go from that to being in the church? How did they go from that to being something else, something different? Can I tell you, I think the answer, and it's not spelled out here for us, but it had to have happened through relationships with believers, Right? This is the way, this is the plan of God. How people are included or enfolded into the family of God happens through God revealing himself through what we talked about last week a little bit, about you ambassadors going and in relationship with those people and showing them and demonstrating for them the love of Christ and bringing them into the fold of the kingdom of God. It happened because other people got to know them. Other people got to, uh, to be around them and loved them enough to tell them the message of Jesus Christ, and it changed their lives. It turned them around, right? Okay. Now, here's the sticky point. Here's the thing that's so hard for us today is when you and I experience someone who's stuck in a really, you know, there are some sins 
um, that we, we view sins in, in different severities. And, and let me tell you just really right off here, there is no difference with God in relationship to sins in, re, in, re, in regards to this. Once you've broken the law, you've broken the whole law. Every one of us is guilty before God, 100%. And none of us has any excuse, right? But the other side of it is, is that there are some sins that have a greater effect on a person's life than others, right? Uh, th- there are some that have a greater effect on, on your life as, an, as, as others. Many of you have loved ones who are alcoholics, right? Very common. It is a sin, but, and let me just talk through this really quickly. I'll make this pretty, pretty quick. Uh, um, su- substance abuse like that, whether it be drug or alcohol abuse, usually starts with someone who cannot cope with their problem, right? They have a problem they can't cope with, and so they're looking for an escape from that. And instead of going to Jesus Christ for wholeness or going to God for a solution to their problem or going to God for peace with that issue in their life, they turn to alcohol and it be, or drugs, and it becomes an escape from them out of that situation. Okay, so first of all, it's an ethical problem because they've turned away from God. It's a spiritual problem because they've turned from God what God fully intended to do on, for them in their behalf, and they've turned to something else instead, and it's become an idol. But that's not where it stops, is it? Uh, um, um, substance abuse also begins to have a biological effect on the person. It has a relational effect on the person. A person who's a drug abuser or a substance abuser or an alcohol abuser, it begins to affect every relationship they have, doesn't it? It affects their families. It affects their children. It affects their job, their ability to make a living. And in, in the end, we know what happens, too, is spe- especially science and studies over the last 60 years, I guess. But uh, we, we know that it begins to build a dependence in the brain. And so it begins to have a warping effect on the biology of the brain <clears throat> so that it even affects the body. Uh, the, Paul would write about sexual sin the same way. He says, no other sin is against the body like sexual sin, sexual immorality. So we look at those sins, and those sins we need to take very seriously because their effect can be absolutely tragic and traumatic in the life of of a person and in their family and their extended family, and it can be devastating. Let me ask you, how many of you have have seen this up close and personal with your family, have seen the the effects of substance abuse? Almost all of you, isn't it? Maybe maybe half of us. It's profoundly uh, it has a profound effect on the whole life of a person and their, and their entire family. Um, and let me say while I'm here, this is one of the reasons why the church can't back down from talking about sin, okay? Because you and I see that this is not just the, the sin of, of substance abuse or alcoholism is not just, just a, a, a choice that someone has made to be dependent. It's a sin because we can see, you can see its effects, and you can see God never intended for someone to live like that, that tragically, right? God never intended that for them. And so what they try to do in escaping has actually become um, a sin into itself, a, an into itself, a punishment in, in itself. And God help them. Amen. It is a difficult, difficult thing to to escape that kind of a sin, especially whenever you're completely caught up in it. Um, you've seen that too. I know all of you guys who have walked with people or, or have loved ones who are alcoholics or drug addicted to drugs. It's a terrible, horrible sin and a horrible, terrible thing that uh, can make them not only uh, behave a certain way but also make them dependent. Um, 
has a damaging effect. It affects the relationship with God, the relationship with other people. Um, sexual immorality, uh, you know, pornography, addictions to pornography, all of these things have a warping effect on your mind and affect your relationships with other people. And that's why they're called sin. And the church can't back away from that. It is sin because it has a warping effect and it's damaging to the person who's doing it, right? And this is why we can't back away from that. Matter of fact, what, 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 what would we say to someone who is, alcohol, who is addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs? You can't go to them and say, well, the gospel says, you know, you're just going to have to cope with this. No, it says the gospel has real healing for you. The, the, the resources of the gospel and the, the death of Jesus Christ is very meaningful for you here. And, and, and in sexual immorality and sexual promiscuity, those are generally what? Those are people who are looking for love oftentimes, right? Those are people who, who can't find it in themselves and they're looking for it in someone else and they, they're not looking to God, but they're looking in, for someone else or they're looking for acceptance and they think the only way they can do it in their twisted minds because they've been twisted by warping of sins, the only way they think they can do it is through sexual promiscuity. Um, what a tragic thing. What a tragic thing. Homosexuality, very much the same way. What a tragic thing. And, and the church can't back away from preaching that, t- teaching that this is a sin. And we can't divorce ourselves from the scriptures that say that these things are obviously sin because God never intended anyone to live with those damaging effects. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And if, if, the, if the gospel, if the Bible has any hope for anyone, it has to teach the truth that the way that God intended for you to live was not like this. True? All right. So here's the hard thing, though, is that we come in contact with people who are steeped in those kinds of sins. And, and listen, you guys know folks like this. I know folks like this. I know people who are so steeped in different sins and they have so many different problems that, that it's like a dysfunction party, you know, in their lives. It's just one thing after another that they have all of these issues with. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but there's a real reluctance on the church part of church people and myself included to get involved with it. I know, I know they don't show it anymore, but you remember in Song of the South, you remember the Tar Baby in that movie where I can't remember what the character was. Was it a rabbit or a bear or something? Huh? Bray rabbit, yeah. So he gets involved and he wants to attack it or something. It was long ago in my childhood, but he wants to attack it. But the more he gets into it, the more he gets caught up in the tar baby, right? And he just gets himself all in case. That's kind of what it feels like to get involved in those folks' life, doesn't it? It's scary to get involved in their lives. But listen, let me stand up, jump up and down and set my hair on fire. If the gospel doesn't have hope for them, the gospel doesn't have hope for me. Their sin is no worse than mine in the view of God, amen? Although theirs may be more involved, theirs may be more detrimental, theirs may have had a, a more, much larger effect on their lives, their sin is no worse than mine. And if, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you remember that part in Lord of the Rings? I'm going all over the map this morning, forgive me. There, you remember the part in Lord of the Rings when Frodo is looking at the, what's it, Smeagol, is looking at Smeagol, and he's talking to somebody, I can't remember who it is. You, you remember all this, don't you, Jimmy? More than <laughs> Right, Smeagol is this character who, who has had the ring of power, and the ring of power is kind of represents, yes, and he says, my precious, and he's just obsessed with it. Have you seen it? There's some confused looks. Okay, um, and he's just obsessed with it. Well, it actually turns him. He becomes this kind of bent over, smug creature who's only, yeah, everybody hear that? Is it just me? Um, this smug creature who's, who's become absolutely obsessed with the ring, and he has no love for anyone else. All he can see, all he knows is that he wants the ring. And he's become absolutely obsessed with it, and it has changed his life for the worse. Well, um, Frodo, who's asked to carry the ring and destroy it, is, goes and he watches Smeagol, and he sees all the trouble that Smeagol's having, and he's talking with his friend here, and his friend here, his friend, is it 
Sam. He's talking to Sam, his buddy, and he looks at Sam and Sam's, why do you, why do you have any compassion for him? He's, a, he's, he's no down, dirty, pitiful creature. And he says, because if there's no hope for him, there's no hope for me. And it's the same way like that for you and I. If the gospel can't offer hope for someone who really needs deliverance, then it offers no hope to you and I. But I believe the gospel has hope for every human situation, every tragedy, every trauma. The gospel offers real hope in every situation. Amen? Not just mine, but in every single one. So powerful is the gospel of God. Brenda kind of got me started this morning. I'm very happy with you. All right. Um, ultimately, it, but there's some things that, I, that you need to know about these people. There's some things you need to know about it, especially with the emerging generation. This generation that's coming up has been sinned against, in my mind, more than any other generation in, human, in, in American history. I won't say human history at all, at all, but in American history. Listen, this is the group who are growing up, having uh, all of us having gone through the sexual revolution, right, that happened. All of us having grown up against this really big bubble that happened in, in this really kind of me-centered, um, uh, kind of greedy um, uh, society that's come to exist that we kind of have today that's been evolving over the last maybe 40 years, um, where, well, here, let me just read you an example. Um, from 1962 till 1981, the number of divorces tripled in about 20 years. In 1962, 50% of, of adults believed that tough marriages to, should stay together and work on it. By 1980, 18 years later, only 20% of adults thought that they should stay together to work on their marriages when it got tough. From 50 to 20. And less than 50% of this upcoming generation reached 17 with both biological parents living in the same house with them. In 1987, more than 50% of all children of divorce had seen their fathers three times or less in the previous year. Did you hear me? The children of divorce, only 50% of them had seen their fathers more than three times in a year. Okay. So these kids are growing up without parents. They're growing up, many of them, most of them are growing up without fathers, and it's had an effect on their lives. Growing up without a father, growing up with a father is so important. It, it is so important to the life of a boy or a girl, so important in their lives. There's a song from a band who is, by the way, not Christian. Their name is Everclear. Not a believers, not believers, right? Okay. So here, here's how it goes. Listen to this. Father of mine, tell me where have you been? You know I just closed my eyes. My whole world disappeared. I will never be safe. I will never be sane. I will always be weird inside. I will always be lame. Daddy gave me a name, then he walked away. We have a society of kids, 50% of them, who are growing up without a dad today. What do you expect those people to look like when they grow up as to be young teenagers or to be older teenagers, to be in their 20s, to be in their 30s? They're going to be broken. They're going to be broken. Um, tell me what great effects. You know, there were some ideas, I guess, back kind of before my time in the 60s and 70s perhaps, that, that the, all ideas about sex were just too stifled and, and, you know, sex inside of marriage only is just too stifling. We need to be more open about how we view sex was kind of the idea at the time, I guess. Tell me, though, what's happened as a result of the sexual revolution? What have you seen? What do you see today? Pain, yeah. Disease, yeah. What else? Darkness, yeah. What do you see in girls who are in junior high and intermediate school? Is that a result? What do you see? No confidence, yeah. What else? 
they dress provocatively. Why would they do that? No fatherly control, no father who says like a good father should, you're not leaving the house in that? Yes, well, that's, those are good words to use, fathers. What else? Don't feel the love and attention for the father, so they're seeking it somewhere else, somehow else, right? Yeah, yeah, like their life depends on whether they have a boyfriend or not. I'm sorry, I should be repeating this for you guys. Go ahead. That's right. That's, this is a real tragedy to me, Clay, is that somehow their identity has changed from a f- just 40 or 50 years back where the identity of a woman was not 100% her sexuality. Uh, today, the identity of a woman is all caught up in her sexuality. Um, that has an effect. That, that leaves a mark, right? All of these sins that, that, are, that f- the previous generations have committed on this have left them broken, They've been broken because of the scars of this. And someone said disease and some other things. There's, the United States has had an incredible increase, and I can't remember the numbers, but an incredible increase in the number of children who are abused or neglected or sexually molested. And you see what's happened. It's been the result of the sexual revolution about us kind of letting Pandora out of the box here, and this is what happens. So why does this emerging, this emerging generation struggle with sexual promiscuity? Because they're broken. Why are there problems with homosexuality? This is very unpopular to say. But it's because, for the most part, and listen, science bears this out, but it's not even today, it's intolerant to even talk like this, I know, in, in our society. And so you've got to be really careful about how you approach these things, but uh, it, just so that you don't turn people off. You want to be able to engage them. You want to be able to show them Christ's love. So you've got to be careful how you talk with them. But it really, science bears out that the majority of, of people, the majority of men who struggle with so, so homosexuality did not have a father at home or didn't have a father figure in their home and grew up without it. And something happens in the mind of a person where they become more broken over time. And I know that's terribly unpopular. And it seems very intolerant in the way that our culture's kind of taught us to speak in kind of politically cor- correct terms. But it's the truth. People don't want to hear it. They don't want to even bring it up. But it's the truth. Um, I completely skipped another part here. That, let me see. Um, let, me, let me talk, though, uh, about this for just a minute because you, you need to be mindful of this um, whenever you're dealing with folks who are steeped in sin, um, is that sin is, a, is when we take a legitimate need and we meet it in an illegitimate way, right? So I, you know, a, a girl growing up may, may need, needs the affection of a man and she didn't receive it from her father, okay? Where should she go for that? She should seek the Lord about those things and, and let him speak the truth about her worth in his eyes and about his value for her and about his acceptance of her just as she is, broken and imperfect just as she is, just with that tender love, you know, that the Lord has for each of us, just incredible. But instead, in a warped way, she's desperately seeking that. It's so much simpler to seek that out in a boy. But it's tragic, isn't it? But, but here's the deal. The reason I want to I bring this up is that all of us struggle with these kinds of sins, with these kinds of idolatry. And I'm not talking about the point of sexual immorality. I'm not talking about homosexuality or, or, a, or drug abuse or any of those things. But those are the extremes. But all of us suffer in a way from these same problems with idolatry, right? All, all of us do, right? If you haven't discovered that, you need to be in your Bible more. It, you're there, I, I promise. You're there in the Scriptures. Man, they're just talking about you day, uh, you know, all the time. Uh, whenever you read in the Scriptures, uh, uh, you'll find yourself there. Uh, but, the, uh, um, but the truth is, is that all of us, whenever we, we seek 
um, a legitimate need to be met in an illegitimate way. That is another way to describe sin. But the problem is, is of course, every time we do that, sin always comes with a consequence, doesn't it? Sin always comes with a consequence. And, and oftentimes the consequence in those situations is that God just turns them over to say, okay, you, you want to find that in, the, in you want to find um, acceptance in a boy? Then go and try to find it. And then they'll go to a boy, and she doesn't find it there. And then what? the Lord lets her go to another boy, and she doesn't find it. And she goes to another boy. And pretty soon she jo- grows up to be like the woman in John chapter 4, right? She grows up to be the woman who's had five men in her life, uh, four husbands, and the man she's with right now is no longer her husband. And you notice what Jesus said? Jesus didn't come to her and say, would you just stop being so needy? He never said that. He said, you need your needs met in me. Everything you're looking for and not finding in this man after man after man can be found in me. He said, you're thirsty for water, and I'm the only one who has it that won't leave you thirsty again. Right? Okay. Um, we gotta, we got to march on. The, the Lord is, uh, he is uh, all those things for us. Let me, I, I need to wrap up here real quick, though. Um, I, I want to tell you just a couple things. R- Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15 uh, says this. If you confess with your mouth, you know what, I'm sorry, I never finished 1 Corinthians, did I? Can, I, can we go back to 1 Corinthians, uh, Sherilyn? Look at what happens in verse 11, though, in the middle of verse 11. Okay, so we got through to, and that is what some of you were. They were swindlers, idolaters, sexually immoral, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But look what happens in the, in the second part of verse 11. But you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is hope for people who are caught in the depths and the darkness of sin. And it doesn't matter how far they've gone. You cannot go too far to escape the grace of God. Amen? All right. Um, I, I, let me, uh, you know what, let's skip that next part. Here, here's, the, here's the crux of the thing. If those people don't have people like you in their lives who love them the way that Jesus Christ loved you before you were a believer and accepted you where you were, knowing full well that you weren't going to stay that way, if you and I aren't loving and accepting of those people, and I'm not talking about accepting their sin, don't be putting words in my mouth, what I'm saying is is that if we're not loving and accepting them, knowing that they are where they are because of their own brokenness, and that we were where we were because of our own brokenness, if you and I aren't loving those people, how will they ever find the gospel? Where is, where is their hope? Where is, do they have any hope for anything different in their lives because they've already, I'm sure, discovered that they're, that they're bankrupt trying to make any change in themselves? How in the world? Listen, here's the tough part, is that you and I know that we have to uphold the standards of God, and yet somehow we have to, have to show the love of God, and that's the difficult issue. Can I tell you that will always be a struggle in these situations? You will, you will never be able to fully differentiate and, and to demonstrate and to say, to know exactly what to say and when. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit for that. We have to go to the Holy Spirit and say, you've got to give me wisdom. When should I speak and when should I keep my mouth quiet? Somehow, you, you know, you read though in the Gospels, you read in, uh, was it Luke um, uh, chapter 19, you read about uh, Jesus in, in uh, John chapter 7. I may have those chapters backwards, but anyway, you read about Jesus being called a friend of sinners. Do you know not one time did Jesus ever say, I am not a friend of sinners? He never said that. He said, matter of fact, he said, well, I've come, the doctor comes for the sick. I, I'm here for them. I've come for them. Um, 
And somehow, whenever they were there together, I think I just broke that. Whenever they were there together, somehow those people wanted to hang out with Jesus. They invited him to his house. The Pharisees couldn't stand it. They said, these religious men couldn't stand it. They said, well, here he is hanging out with, with sinners. As a matter of fact, they, they, Jesus quotes them and he said, you guys are calling me a glutton and a drunkard because of the people I hang out with. Why? Because they were gluttons and drunkards and prostitutes. And he was called a friend to them. Can I suggest to you this morning, somehow Jesus was able to show them love and yet never let down on the, um, the truth of the Scripture that what they were walking in was sin. Can I suggest to you just a, a few things? One is, is that we have to remember, we didn't begin to change until we were in relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't ask someone to change to come into relationship with Christ. That's legalism. That's Old Testament stuff. The hope for them to change is, happens through the relationship of Jesus Christ. And if they're not a believer, the real hope for them to change is not for you to tell them, boy, you've got to clean this up before you can hang out with me. I can't be a part of what you're doing here until you get this cleaned up. People don't come to Christ that way, and neither did you. Amen? You came fully, completely on the basis of God's grace and your faith in his grace to love you where you were and that Jesus Christ died on your behalf like Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, right? God demonstrated for love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you, for me, for them. Amen? Christ died for us. All right. Um, you know what? And I forgot to mention, th- I, I'm, I'm preaching from a book I read. It's called uh, No Perfect People Allowed by John Burke. John, no Perfect People Allowed. Excellent book. Excellent book about trying to reach this generation. Um, let me just bring up a couple of things to remember. Can you bring up that little list there, Sherilyn? There, there are some things we need to remember as we deal with folks who are just steeped in, in sin and dysfunction. The first one is we cannot judge nor can we fix people. Listen, you're not a fixer. I'm not a fixer. You know, I'm not more whole in Christ today because someone came along and said, well, here, you've got to do this different. It's, it, it didn't happen that way. It happened. You know, change happens. Holiness happened for me because of the relationship, my relationship with Jesus Christ and walking with him for, for a number of years. And you've got to remember where people came from. You've you got you to be able to get past the fact that, that, that their sin is so obvious and so bad. And it is. I mean, their sin is, it, 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 is, it, is, it is horrifyingly bad in the eyes of God. That's true. But one of the things that God remembers about us and, and we've got to remember about them is that there's a reason for this. <laughs> there's a reason that they're walking in this brokenness. There's a reason, and probably that they've been sinned against. Now, listen, that gives us, none of us, gives us anyone any excuse for sinning. You know, one of the problems with sin is that, is that not only that we sin, but when we're sinned against, we sin. You know what I'm saying? So, so bad behavior in me often proves, you know, bad, um, uh, someone does something bad in my life, often produces, often produces uh, some bad behavior, but that's because of sin in my life, right? Uh, not because I walk um, in, in, in holiness or forgiveness like I should. Healingness comes through relationship with Jesus. There's just no other way. People don't get cleaned up before they come to Jesus. They get cleaned up after they do. How's it go? Um, um, I catch him, he cleans him. Something like that, right? That's an inside joke. We come to Christ based on his grace, not our worthiness. Amen? We know this to be true, but it's so hard for us to see sometimes in relationship with people who, are, who, we, can, who we view as real, real bad sinners, right? You know, unlike us. God was and is patient with us. This is so important. We have to be patient with people. you got to know that people are not going to be changed overnight. 
the relationship with Jesus Christ, how long did it take you to overcome some of your sin? Sometimes God will just step in and he'll just make it happen. But usually, how long does it take, did it take you to overcome some sin? Decade for me sometimes. I mean, very frustrating. I'm still not done. Every time I think I'm done, he brings back and says, well, you've got to make some changes there. I already made some changes. Anyway, not that I would raise my voice. We are all in process. Every one of us is in process, and it's okay not to be okay. But I'm sorry. It's okay not to be okay here, but it's not okay to stay there. Listen, um, in this generation, uh, thank you very much, Sherilyn. That's good. You can, yep, you can come on up if you'd like. That's what I needed. Thank you. Many in this generation believe that the church, listen, this, this generation right here today believes that you guys are a bunch of judgmental, arrogant, intolerant, backwoodsy kind of folks. You're not going to be able to argue that away. You're not going to be able to say enough words to argue that away. But there is something that overcomes every argument. The love of Christ for someone who didn't deserve it, just like the love of Christ came into your heart and changed your life forever. The love that you show one of those people can overcome every argument. They can call you intolerant. They can call you judgmental. They can call you anything you want. But if you will just show the stubborn love of God for them, the devoted love of God for them, it can bring about incredible change in their lives. Um, so let me just tell you this. God's ability to work through you to reach people in incredible, incredibly difficult circumstances, it, it, there's no bounds on him. He can work in you in ways that you never, uh, you never dreamed, you never thought were possible before. Uh, and as he begins, as he shows his love through you, there's just no person that's outside of God's reach through you. It, I know you don't believe that, but it's true. Uh, listen to me. Believe me later. But uh, uh, it, it is true. There is no one outside of God's reach through you. Amen? No one. Let, we need to stand and sing together. Would you, Charlotte, would you guys uh, come? Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. We can Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity love and power come ye thirsty come and welcome God's free bounty glorified true